morning. My name's Brett Sweet. I'm one of the pastors here at GCF where we exist to glorify God through God. Discipleship and community. Uh, we're in a series on our seven theological distinctives. The purpose is for you to know some things that might differentiate us from other churches. Doesn't mean we're better, just means these are little aspects about us. And this week we're on week six, which is our commitment to the local church. We are committed to the local church. And this is what the elders have approved under that idea. We are committed to the local church. The local church is at the center of God's plan to glorify himself in human history. Therefore, we exhort our members to pursue meaningful relationships within the church, serve wholeheartedly in the church, and give their resources to the church. Furthermore, we honor formal church membership, practice church discipline, train church leaders, and submit to biblical church government. Finally, we give the majority of our mission money to ministries devoted to planting and building healthy local churches. That's what it means when we say we're committed to local churches, and I want to tell you how thankful I am to be part of a local church with all of you. So let me pray. Keep your Bibles open there to Matthew 18. We'll ask God to help us. Lord, we are needy people. We are a local church. And from the outside, from human perspective, we're not much. We're just little humans going about our lives. But Lord, you say that there's something significant that happens in the local church. You say that there is significance to what we are doing by gathering and worshiping, by living our lives together and encouraging and helping one another. Pray, Lord, that you would help us this morning, that you would speak to us through your word, that we would see the realities that are at play in the local church. And Lord, for that to happen, we need your Holy Spirit. Would you please send him? Pray that Jesus would be the great hero of this sermon that he would be the grounds for everything that happens here at GCF. In Jesus' name, amen. From Tuesday, I saw this. Headline, two FBI agents killed three hurt in a shooting in Florida while serving a warrant. Headline, Marilyn Manson responds to abuse allegations from Evan Rachel Wood. Headline, Vanessa Bryant warns people about CBD oil scam using Kobe's name. We cannot go anywhere without bumping into sin and sinners infects every part of this world. And our culture actually seems to have a very high degree of uh, care for the morals of this society. They really care about what's right and what's wrong and what's sin at least as far as they define it. And our culture has a plan, a plan for how to deal with sin. Our culture's plan with how to deal with sin, or at least their socially unacceptable sins, is this. We cancel people. We cancel them. We don't watch their movies. You don't shop at those stores. You don't go to that state. You don't associate with them. Our culture has a high level of commitment to this plan to the point where, where, where people are called to pretend 
as if people are dead or as if places don't exist or as if we imagine things in the past could never have happened and then they'll have disappeared. But if we're honest with ourselves, this makes us a little bit nervous because sooner or later, people are going to learn things about us that we're sinners and that we might be canceled, even if what we did in the past was okay then. See, God has a different plan for how to deal with sin. And the interesting thing is that God actually defines what sin is, not a culture, not a government, nothing like that. It's God. And God's plan to deal with sin actually starts with saying that you and I, we deserve to be canceled. We deserve to be swept off of earth into the dustbin of hell. But God has a different plan. He's committed to a different plan. So he sent his son Jesus to cancel our sin at the cross, to pay for it once and for all. And we know that Jesus has finished paying for it because he's been raised from the dead. And, but the problem is we still have sin, don't we? So God has another part of the plan for how to deal with sin. And that involves using the Holy Spirit in the local church to deal with sin. And God is committed to dealing with sin, and so he's committed to the local church. And since we should be committed to the things God is committed to, that's the main point. We are committed to the local church. So God is committed to this plan for how to deal with sin, so we should be too. And he uses the local church. And sin is always the root of our problems. It's always our own sin or the fact that we're being sinned against or the fact that we just live in a world that's infected and beaten up and broken because of sin. So let's look at how God wants to remedy this during our lives. He wants to use the local church. And we're going to do that by looking at verses 15 through 20 of Matthew 18, where we see God's plan by using the local church, and this is specifically in a church discipline context, for how to fight sin, how to kill it, how to deal with it. So we're going to look at two aspects of how God is going to deal with sin and why we should be committed to the local church. And the first is the local church are people who fight sin. That's the first thing we need to know as we think about being committed to the local church is that the local church are people who fight sin. They fight sin. The second aspect we want to look at regarding local churches is that the local church has been given authority. The local church has been given authority. There's authorities, numerous authorities out there that God has delegated. One of them is the local church. So let's look first, though, at the fact that the local church, as we're committed to it, are people who fight sin. People who fight sin. So rather than canceling people, getting rid of them for what may or may not be sin... The local church makes sense because we patiently walk with people through sin. We follow God's plan and fight sin together. So let's look at what it means for a local church to fight sin. So as we're looking at this idea that the local church is people who fight sin, let's notice underneath that from verse 15 that the local church are people you sin with. The local church are people you sin with. They're the people that you sin with. Look at verse 15 with me. 
If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. Now, 1 John 1.8 says this very interesting thing. It says, if we say we have no sin, then we're liars. We're not telling the truth. The truth is not in us. So we're going to sin. And so as Christians, we make the choice, who are we going to sin with? Who are we going to sin with? We can sin with those who will cancel us, who want us to just disappear, or we can sin with those who want us to continue to be part of their family, their brothers and sisters. Seems like a better idea. People who are willing to help us, people who are willing to come after us when, our, when they see that our sin is destroying us. And, and that's what Jesus did. That's one of the reasons why I love Jesus, is instead of just canceling us, instead of just letting us destroy ourselves by our sin, Jesus comes after us. And he says that we can be like him. Jesus came after us and saved us and empowered us to change. If we spend enough time together, you and me, I'm going to sin against you and you're going to sin against me. But God has a plan for how to deal with that. And it's in the context of the local church. And you'll notice that his plan means that it can't, sin cannot be dealt with alone. It can't be dealt with alone. If you think you can do it on your own, you're, you're, you can't. And that means we need to spend some time together. This bond is weakened if we don't spend much time together. I have this friend, this friend, he, his favorite pairs of pants were these khakis that have zippers that go around just around the knees. And what's so, so amazing about these khakis is you could, you could, you'd have pants and then you could take the zipper around and then ta-da, they're shorts. They're shorts. So he has these amazing pants that could be shorts. But what my friend realizes is there's this problem. Sometimes he would unzip his pants in the spring and wear his shorts all summer playing golf and then fall would come around and he would go to zip his pants back on but all that time in the sun had faded the shorts and so when he'd put the, the bottom of the pants back on, they just didn't match, they didn't fit together. They didn't, they'd spent too much time apart. They didn't really go back together. And the same sort of thing can happen to people. If you spend a lot of time away from people, you don't really commit to the local church, don't really spend time with the people in your small group, people in your discipleship group, people on Sunday mornings. Over time, all of a sudden, you'll be like, you know, we don't really fit together. Not really, they're not really that helpful for me. See, but this text is saying the local church is really important to you and me. We need people. We need people to remind us that we can't solve the sin problem on our own. But there's someone who can. There's people that can remind us that Jesus has come to save us. And so even though we can't save ourselves, there's one who has. People who remind us of the gospel, to remind us that we haven't been canceled, that Jesus has come to deal with our sin and bring us into his kingdom. So the local church are people who fight sin. And part of that means that that means that there are people you sin with. You're going to choose who you're going to sin with. You're going to sin with somebody. Local church are people you sin with. And that's part of the reason we're committed to the local church. What else do we see when we look at the fact that the local church are people who fight sin? 
The local church, second, if we look under that category, is where others help us fight sin. The local church is where others help us fight sin. So we're going to sin with people, but they help us fight sin. Let's read verses 15 through 16 together. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. So Jesus here, talking to a primarily Jewish audience, uses this Old Testament principle. He says, hey, we're going to avoid the he said, she said business. If we're, if we're going to go to court or people are on trial, we need multiple witnesses. So Jesus is saying the same thing. If, if somebody, if you've, if you've sinned and refused to repent, we're going to take other people to come along and help you. Help you. Remind you, like, this is going to destroy you. We don't, and, and so there's a commitment of people to come and help you fight sin together and say, we don't want this to destroy you. Come back. Come be with us. Repent of this. We love you. We don't want you to be canceled. Let's, we're here to help you fight sin. We're to help you change. We're to help you become the human God has made you to be. That's why we're here. Now, why wouldn't we want this help? The primary reason why we don't want this help is because we live in a culture that's very, very individualistic. We have this concept called expressive individualism. We see, we, we see it even in Disney movies. Queen Elsa on the mountain saying this, no right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. Parents, kids, you need to be aware of message you're hearing. We're told that our hearts, we must follow our hearts regardless of what other people say. And other people become just killjoys. They're hassles, hassles to our dreams, our goals, our desires. But where did this come from? And what's the result of thinking this way? Being this expressive individualism, being really individualistic. One of the places this came from is actually from a dead French philosopher named Jean-Paul Sartre. So I want you to stick with me because I'm going to show you. He, he plays out the results of his philosophy. If you were to listen to Sartre's lectures or listen to it or read his literature or watch his plays, you would, you would get this concept. Sartre would say, human beings, you're, we've been thrown into the world. We've just been chucked in here. There's no God. We're all here by chance. We've got, we, we, we have no control over how we ended it up here. So we've been thrown. But here's the interesting thing, he says. Humans, we have this destiny in front of us. We're destined for absolute freedom. Absolute freedom where we act completely free of the influences of others. Completely free of anything else. And you're only really free, you're only really human when you exercise this absolute freedom, free from the influences of others. So that means you must follow the desires of your heart regardless of what your parents taught you. Regardless of the vows you, you made to your wife or husband years ago. Regardless of what religious people say. Regardless of what the law demands. But Sartre notices this problem. Other people exist. Other people exist. 
And they start to treat you like an object that limits your freedom. So you're not just a human being. What you are is just a wallet that can move around, that we can sell cars to or drugs to or clothes to. Or you're not really a human being. You're just a body for someone to lust after, and then you can use that and manipulate them. You're not really free. You're an object for for somebody else's emotional satisfaction. And so you, instead of being free, are in this invisible prison that other people have made for you. So we understand why Sartre has this saying in one of his plays. He says this, hell is other people. Hell is other people. People take our money and time and effort and emotion. Sometimes it seems like it's best not to be around other people. Hell is other people. And Sartre is onto something. We feel that, don't we? People limit us. People shouldn't treat us like objects. But see, God has a better way of getting us to freedom than that. See, Sartre goes wrong from the beginning. We're not thrown. We're not here by chance. You've been created in God's image. You're valuable. You're meaningful. And he's put you in your family, in this culture, all these things, not by chance, but on purpose. And he says, he says this, you know what? There is a time where you'll be absolutely free, but that's in heaven, Christians, Given you a new nature and you're, you are absolutely new, but you're not totally new yet. And so if you use absolute freedom now while there's still sin, what happens is you make the headlines in the bad ways. So for now, we need some limits on our freedom. So now God has given us this, this means of achieving absolute freedom, but what we need is people around us. We need the local church to help us fight our sin and the sin of others to limit our freedoms when they're destructive. Fighting sin so that someday we can be absolutely, totally free. And sometimes this means having really hard conversations with people, talking to people. It's good for others to lead us out of slavery to sin and to freedom in Christ. So Sartre says that hell is other people, but Jesus says here that other people keep us out of hell. That's why it's good to be committed to the local church. When people know your sin, where people actually know your sin tendencies, people actually know you and know where you struggle. The church is there to help you fight that sin. There are people you sin with, yeah, and oftentimes you've got to overlook those little things. But other times when they're big and destructive, you go into help. And so not only do you sin with them, but there's people there to help you fight sin. But now let's notice also if the church is the place where we fight sin, the people who fight sin. The local church is different because we fight sin. The local church is different because we fight sin. There's a difference going on here. So let's look at verse 17. This is about the person who remains unrepentant. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. So the local church is meant to be different than the world. So writing to this Jewish audience, 
Matthew, who is a Jew, is writing to, Jesus is speaking to a primarily Jewish audience. Matthew is writing to a primarily Jewish audience. He goes, you know, you know how we're Jewish? You know how those Gentiles are different than us? They don't really, their vows to their spouses are not so important. Um, It's okay for them to cheat in business as long as they succeed. It's okay for them to get drunk all the time. And you know those tax collectors? Those guys are traitors to to our country. The ones that continue to steal from us again and again, all the time. Well, we treat them a little differently than we do honest God following Jews, don't we? Honest, good God followers. See, the world doesn't really fight sin as God defines it. We just kind of minimize it. It's like, yeah, it's kind of a hassle, but it's not sin. Or we just change its definition. But see, the local church is meant to be different. It's meant to be people who fight sin. So we're told, here we're told, that when someone refuses to fight sin, they shouldn't be treated like members of the church. They should be treated differently. This is the church discipline process. And the goal is not to cancel them. The goal goes back to verse 15, to gain your brother. We don't just cancel and pretend they don't exist. We say, hey, we think you're on a destructive path. Come around, come back. We want you to come back. But since we're called to represent Jesus and look like Jesus and fight sin like Jesus, if you don't want to do that, it's not honest for us to have you as a member here. See, the local church is meant to be different than the world because we fight sin. We seek to love those that are different than us in many ways. We seek to forgive instead of canceling or ignoring or moving away. We seek to be generous. We seek to be patient. We seek to look different than the world. And the primary way we're called to look different is to be holy, loving like God loves. And obviously we fail sometimes. So notice how verse 17 though points to the local church. This can't be This can't be the universal church made up of every Christian. Imagine if somebody sins or continues to remain unrepentant. Does Jesus expect us to find every Christian on earth? Say, hey, let let us tell you these people's sins that they haven't repented of. Is that what he means? No. It's got to be a local church here. So it makes sense. It makes sense that they must first, if they can be put out of the church, clearly be members of the church. That's why we have formal church membership here. God is committed to the people of the local church. Shouldn't we be committed as well? God has a plan for how to fight sin. It involves being with other people in the local church. Shouldn't we be committed to that as well? This is God's plan for how to fight sin rather than being canceled forever and ever. So let's give thanks for God's good plan. This is why also we have gospel-centered discipleship. We want to help people grow and mature, put to death sins and put on righteousness and enjoy the freedom that comes with being in Christ. We want to walk with people, recognizing that it's going to take years sometimes to deal with sin. Be patient with them. And we recognize that the more we fight sin, the more like Jesus will be. And the more glory God will get. People will look at us and say, wow, 
Those people actually are making an effort to live like God commands. And that's a good God that would want people to live that way, to love him and love others. So we're committed to the local church. And one of the reasons is because the local church are the people who fight sin. Now let's look at another thing that's interesting as we examine the local church. And that is we're committed to the local church because the local church has been given authority. The local church has been given authority. So the ultimate authority for the Christian is God himself revealed in the word of God. That was our first theological distinctive. There's the authority of scripture. But God has also given authority to the local church. But what does that mean? But to do what? Well, first, the local church's authority foreshadows heaven. The local church's authority foreshadows heaven, or at least it's meant to. Let's look at verses 18 through 19 as we see that the local church is meant to foreshadow heaven. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two, or two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. So the meaning of this passage is debated, heavily debated by the old theologians throughout church history. But notice the most basic truth, most basic thing. What goes on here on earth is meant to be similar to what goes on in heaven. It's meant to foreshadow heaven. Jesus is not saying that because someone is a member of the local church, they'll be members in heaven someday. He's not saying that. He's not saying that if people aren't members of local church, they aren't in heaven. But he is saying that, those, that there is supposed to be some measure of alignment. It's not going to be perfect. It's not going to be exact. But he said that there should be some sort of effort made here on earth to foreshadow heaven. Most scholars agree with how this works is by preaching the gospel. The way you bind and loose things is through the gospel. So do you feel yourself on the outside today? On the outside of the church? Outside without any sort of relationship with God? The amazing thing is the gospel is this message that tells you there's a way in. There's a way in. And Jesus came and he said, I'm the door to the sheepfold. So Jesus is the door. You come through him. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. He's the way in. He's the way in. Maybe you've been sinned against so bad, it would make the headlines. Or maybe you've sinned so bad that it would make headlines. Or maybe you've been sinned against by a local church and you really do feel sometimes like hell is other people. But that's just proof that sin is the problem, isn't it? Just confirms exactly what the Bible says. But God shares this good news with you that Jesus is the way. That with Jesus, you can be sure that your eternal punishment has been paid for. That you don't have to make payment. You don't have to beat yourself up again and again and again. And he tells you that he's leading you to a place. Jesus is a way to a place. This place of heaven where you'll find that heaven is other people. 
because everybody there is, has a pure heart and loves God completely and loves you perfectly. And the best person there of all is Jesus, who loves you. Otherwise, if you don't go through Jesus, you'll find that the sin-infested world is the best it's going to get for you. Best it'll ever get. And it's only going to get worse and you'll be in hell. So Jesus is holding out his arms wide open, saying, come to me. I will never cast you out. A great book I was meant to announce before I started preaching is this, Gentle and Lowly. There's a whole chapter on this idea. The whole point is how great Jesus is. If you want this book, I will give it to you for free afterwards, but you got to come find me. Um, and there's other copies that you can pay for downstairs. But if you don't come to Jesus, the one who promises to welcome you, promises to never cast you out, you will be locked out. You'll be loosed into the world. That's why we preach the message of the gospel here. We want everyone to come into local churches. Maybe this one, maybe another one. Because the local church is meant to foreshadow heaven. And here's the amazing thing. That's why the local church is the plan for reaching the world, for being on mission. Because the local church is meant to be this perfect, it's meant to be this massive number. So we want as many people here as possible because in, in heaven it's an uncountable number. So we want to foreshadow that. Now, is that going to mean cram this building with thousands of people? No, it might mean planting other churches. It might mean doing all sorts of things. Wouldn't you want that? Wouldn't you want the local church to foreshadow heaven, change the world, so that headlines now are good news stories, so your enemies become your friends, that orphans are adopted, criminals have their lives changed? God's plan for doing this is through the local church. The local church is God's plan, and he's given the local church some authority. But if you're like me, you recognize authority is abused. Church members and elders don't always get things right, make mistakes. So here's some really good news that comes with this idea of the local church having authority. God is present when the local church uses authority. That's the second aspect we'll look at here. God is present when the local church uses authority, which is an incredible, amazing truth. God is present. Look at verses 19 through 20 with me. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. This verse is amazing. I, you hear it a lot where two Christians bump into each other in a street corner. We're like, here we are. There's two of us. God must be with us. We're two or more are gathered. God is present. That's true. That's a wonderful truth. But notice the context here. The context of where two or more gather is in a church discipline situation. So when you approach someone in your small group, or they approach you saying, hey, we've noticed you're always just talking about yourself constantly, bad-mouthing your husband, bad-mouthing your wife. Like God is present when, with you when you make that difficult, have that difficult conversation. God is present with you. It's amazing. And so what that means is that when 
when in the few events here at GCF when we've had to actually put somebody out of the church for unrepentant sin, it's a great comfort to us because we're tempted to fear. We don't want people mad at us. We don't like displaying the fact that people are unrepentant. But it's a great comfort knowing God is with us. God is with us. And that gives us hope. Even if we might not be making the right decision, we're trying to make the best decision, but we might not be. And he knows our motives. And I hope you can also see why this is a protection for you against being abused by those in authority. If elders or leaders are really tempted to be harsh or domineering or controlling, if they remember that God is present with them, God is present, and that the person that they're talking to is someone Jesus has died for, boy, it should give us pause from ever abusing that authority. Should, should cause the elders to want to fight their own sin. And that's an amazing, great truth, reminding that God is present. God is present when this authority is used. Do you have this hope? Do you want God to be present with you in a unique way? A unique way that is different than when you're off by yourself. Then you'll want to join a local church. It could be ours, it could be others, We'd love for you to be a member here if it's the right one. We're an imperfect church. You're imperfect too. You'll fit right in. But notice that God has delegated authority to the local church to help you, not to harm you. He wants the local church to be a blessing to you, even its authority as you fight sin. So let me close with reading the words of the great British preacher Charles Spurgeon. He talks about the local church, and you've heard, probably heard bits and pieces of this before. Well, listen to this. Now, I know there are some who say, well, I hope I have given myself to the Lord, but I do not intend to give myself to any church because fill in the blank. Now, why not? Because I can be a Christian without it. Now, are you quite clear about that? You can be as good a Christian by disobedience to your Lord's commands as by being obedient? Well, suppose everyone else did the same there would be no visible church. What is right for one is right for all. Why should not all of us do it? Then you believe that if you were to do an act which has a tendency to destroy the visible church of God, you would be as good a Christian as if you did your best to build up the church? I do not believe it, sir, nor do you neither. Oh, says one, Though I hope I love the Lord, yet if I were to join the church, I would feel it such a bond upon me. There's Sartre. Just what you ought to feel. Ought you not to feel that you are bound to holiness now and bound to Christ now? Oh, those blessed bonds. If there's anything that could make me feel more bound to holiness than I am, I should like to feel that fetter. For it is only liberty to feel bound to godliness, uprightness, and carefulness of living. So hell is not other people. Other people help get us to heaven. Other people don't limit your freedom. Other people help you live in freedom. And the local church is where we see God's plan for that. So let's pray. Lord, we are thankful for the local church. We're thankful that you 
have used this as your plan to reach the nations? Lord, we confess that we as a church have not been a perfect church. We confess that there are sins that we have overlooked at times and sins we have not approached quickly enough at times. And so, Lord, we rest in the freedom that Jesus knows and you know our motives. We're thankful that, God, you are present here with us now. Thank you, thank you. We pray that we would be a church that more and more is foreshadowing heaven. God, we need your help to do that. Would you help us be a church that loves being together, loves knowing that there's people with us as we fight sin, become more like Jesus. His name we pray, amen.